Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. All right. Well, we're going to start a new book. It's just one of those days I feel like reading. This book is from Edward Henry, forwarded by uh, Tex Myers, Tracking the Beast from the Synagogue to the Vatican, Solving the Mystery of Babylon. The Great. So he carried me away in the, fear, the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of, name, full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed with, in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman uh, drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Revelation 17, 3, 6 through 6. Uh, uh. Table of Contents, forward by text bars, author of preface, introduction, the Great Wonder in Heaven, Chapter 1, Chapter 2, The Other Woman, Chapter 3, Passing the Cup for Jerusalem to Rome, Chapter 4, the Kabbalah and the Talmud, Chapter 5, the Judaic uh, Catholic Literature, Literature, Chapter 6, Moranos and Conversos, Chapter 7, Crypto-Jewish Jesuits, Chapter 8, Crypto-Jewish Pope, Chapter 9, Learned Elder of Zion. Chapter 10, Communism is Judaism. Chapter 11, Catholic Communism. Chapter 12, Priestcraft. Chapter 13, Judaic and Catholic Curses upon the Christians. Chapter 14, The fear, Fearful Reign of the Babylonians. Chapter 5, Making Jesus Irrelevant. Chapter 16, The Common Praying of the Rabbis and Priests. Chapter 7, Pope equals High Priest. Chapter 18, Infallibility. Chapter 19, The Mark of the Beast. <clears throat> chapter 20, The Magical Transubstantiation of the Judaic Eucharist. Chapter 21, The Secret Doctrine. Chapter 22, Putting Christ to Open Shame by Re-Crucifying Him. Chapter 23, Blood Passover. Chapter 24, Necromancy and the Queen of Heaven. Chapter 25, Magic Talismans and Idols. Chapter 28, 
Purgatory, 2027, Establishing Zionist Churches, uh, Chapter 28, Coded Language, Conclusion and Endnotes. Forward by Texmars. There are few prophecies in the Holy Bible more heart-stirring and breathtaking than the image of the Revelation 17 of the great harlot, uh, the woman who rides upon the frightening and scarlet-colored beast with seven heads and ten horns, imperiously dressed in purple and scarlet with a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filth of her fornication. The brazen harlot is decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. The Apostle, Paul, Apostle John whose heavenly vision so vividly pictured the strange woman, noted it, especially the revealing name she had written upon her forehead, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. The apostle was clearly stricken when seeing this powerful image, for he was told in the vision that the seven heads and of the beast represent seven mountains that the woman sat upon. The woman, Paul was told, signifies a notorious yet great city. This is that city, said the angel in the vision, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Perhaps the most terrifying of all was John's recognition of the awful specter of death that the woman represented. Quote, I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, testified the apostle. That was in that quote, testified the apostle. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Of course, this is all in Revelation. Some claim that there is a beautiful side of evil, enticing, dangerous, monstrous, and deadly, yet somehow sickeningly alluring and inviting. It seems that even the most wicked are, on rare occasions, possess the ability of awe to awe the world and fill onlookers with a curious combination of uh, macabre, and mystery, and trepidation. I don't know if I said that one word right, but I tried my best. Bible scholars uh, say that the Apostle John wrote down his prophetic vision, which we know today as the book of Revelation. In the year 92 AD, in succeeding centuries, many have studied these awe-inspiring verses and have pondered and meditated on their meaning. Everyone knows how supremely important it is that humanity as a whole, but particularly the Christian church, grasp the profound nature of these prophecies. The future of mankind itself and the destiny of every nation are bound up in this heaven-sent vision of end-time tragedy against the backdrop of divine victory. Thankfully, God has designed and constructed his prophetic words so that his disciples, the men and women who know and honor Jesus Christ as Lord, amen, will be able to decipher and understand the meaning of these passages, though they be laden with seemingly obscure symbolic content. In Daniel 12.10, we discover the promise that God 
will empower his latter-day servants with the prophetic discernment. Uh, quote, and the wicked will do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And quote, the wise refer, refers to godly persons whose wisdom and knowledge come not of his own. Superior intelligence or inherent brain capacity, but direct from God. As Apostle Paul so joyously put it, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is a glorious thing that God does imparting wisdom and understanding to his children. Edward Henry has been given a very special gift of discernment. He has. And I believe this book provides evidence of this. For centuries, the saints have sought to uncover the symbolic, this, the symbolical secret of the great harlot and the beast in Revelation. Who is Mystery Babylon? What is the meaning of the sinister symbols found in these passages? Which city is being described as the great city, so full of sin and decadence? Who are its citizens? Why do the women, the woman and the beast of Revelation seek to dis- the destruction of the holy people, the saints, the martyrs of Jesus? What does it all what does it all mean for you and me today? Solving the mystery of Babylon the Great answers these questions and more. Edward Henry Henry's discovery are not based on prejudice but on solid evidence aligned with forthrightly with the whole counsel of God. He does not condone, nor will he be part of any project in which Bible verses are taken out of context and in which scriptures are twisted to mean what they do not say. Again and again you will find that Mr. Hendry's documents his assertions backing up what he says with historical facts and proofs. Most important is that they, that his buttresses his findings with scriptural understanding. The foundation for his research is sturdy because it is based on the bedrock of God's unshakable word. Many sincere Protestant Christians have studied the works of notable pastors, teachers, and theologians, and scholars, maintain that the identity of the mystery of Babylon is none other than the Roman Catholic Church. Moreover, these good men and women assert that the Pope of Rome is the Antichrist. In fact, this was the historical view as endorsed by Martin Luther and other reformers. Edward Henry's work goes far in honoring the views and works that these excellent teachers but he goes even further. He also takes their facts and comparative studies and builds on these conclusions. His investigation is greater in depth and more encompassing. The prophecies centered on Babylon and on the iniquities of the far-flung political, economic, and cultural, and religious system. What was Babylon? What did it, its priests and leaders teach as their core doctrine? What were the ancient Babylonian symbols and its abominations? Why has Babylon always been a code word for spiritual 
decadence and sexual debauchery. Edward Henry's original research of these important issues is eye-opening. Henry's book paints a convincing picture of the meaning of ancient Babylon and also shows how the Roman Catholic Church, the papacy, and its rituals and practices are mere images of the Babylonian evil. But there is yet another religious system that is full full to the brim with Babylonianism. The men and women immersed in this system promote a sordid and repulsive way of life that has defined that has definite connections with ancient Babylon and its satanic traditions. That system is Judaism and the culture of of world Jewry. What few but Edward Henry has discovered is that from the inception of Christianity, the major enemy of God's church and the number one polluter and destroyer of Christendom has been Pharisaic Judaism. Moreover, Jewry, a culture which is controlled and directed by rabbinical zealots, has historically been hostile to the Christian church and to this day does everything in its considerable power to undermine and poison the roots of biblical Christianity. Henry demonstrates and proves this hateful animosity on the part of world Jewry and especially by those Jews active in the religion of Judaism. He explains and documents why Jews are imbued with such an unjustifiable but overwhelming hatred and loathing for Christianity and Christians. Contrary to what most people think to be the case, Henry documents that Judaism is not the religion of the Old Testament and the prophets. Instead, Judaism comes from the same perverted spiritual foundation as does the Roman Catholic Church, Babylon. Judaism, most holy book, is the Babylonian Talmud, the inner teachings of Judaism, and unscriptural, satanic, religious embraced by its elders and high priests, is pure Babylonianism. Henry even proves that it was Babylonian-believing Jews who founded the Roman Catholic Church. These Jewish infiltrators sought to wrestle away the true Christian faith from the teachings and principles of the apostles in the New Testament. The goal of these Jews was to remold the Christian church into a weakened version of Phariseeism, itself based on dogma and practices of the practices the Jews had brought back to Jerusalem following their long Babylonian captivity. Jesus told us that the Jews' religion is not of God, but was constructed of man-made traditions. He bluntly accuses the Pharisees, and the Encyclopedia Judaica says that the Phariseeism is today's Orthodox Jewry. Quote, ye are of your father the devil, and the quote, somehow over the centuries these warnings and statements of Jesus were forgotten and now are unrespected by most evangelical Christians. How tragic. For if we but listen to what Jesus said, we would understand the grave danger that Christendom is confronted with today due to the satanic horrors of Judaism. Henry fortunately does take take into account these warnings of Jesus and also those of Paul, the Apostle, 
and prophets. He research and his research and insights point us to a clear understanding of the two-pronged Babylonian enemy that even now is at our very doorstep. Uh, Edward Henry proves from scriptures and from his own thorough investigation that both the Zionists and Rome are joining jointly involved in a deceptible end-time conspiracy against God's word and his saints. Together they formed a corrupt and ominous mystery Babylon world system of evil pictured so poignantly in the book of Revelation. Once you realize that Judaism, its offshoot Zionism, and Rome's Catholicism come from the same bitter Babylonian waters, so much of the Bible and its prophecies come into focus. The haze and perplexity lifts, lifts, and the gift of discernment is supernaturally conferred on the diligent child of God who thirsts for godly knowledge. What miraculous thing to see with a better vision the wonders that are now unfolding in our world as prophesied, one by one, are unveiled in the clear light of day. We remember what God said in the book of Daniel about the events of the later days. Though God sends strong delusion to those who reject his learning, we are gratified to learn that, quote, the wise shall understand, end of quote. In this spirit, Edward Henry solves for us the riddle of Mystery Babylon. Text Mars, Power of Prophecy, Austin, Texas. Author preface. The research for this book began over ten years ago. My first book was titled Antichrist Conspiracy Inside the Devil's Lair. The book was intended as an exposition on unbiblical theology of the Roman Catholic Church. As I researched the theology of the Roman Church, however, I discovered political, financial, and media tentacles flowing from the core of what was supposed to be a religious institution. As I researched the Catholic religion and followed the tentacles, I discovered a connection between the Catholic Church and Zionist Jews. The evidence was there, but the connections were not overt, they were in the shadows, concealed from view. It was clear that there was a synergism between Judaic and Catholic interests. I followed the evidence and reported my findings and Antichrist Conspiracy. After publishing Antichrist Conspiracy, I continued to dig deeper. It was I was able to find more solid evidence of the connection between Rome and Jerusalem. This book is the culmination of that research. As I followed the tentacles from the Vatican, I discovered that the Jewish connection with Rome was not simply one of synergy, but rather one of control. I discovered credible evidence that the Roman Catholic Church was established by crypto-Jews as a false Christian front for Judaic Babylonian religion. That makes sense to me. That religion is the core of the of a world conspiracy against man and God. That is not a soft conspiracy theory based upon speculation. It is a hard truth supported by authoritative evidence which is documented, documented in this book.
Introduction. God's plan is to first establish the earthly and then spiritually. How be it that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, afterward that which is spiritual. First, man is of the earth, earthy. Second, man is the Lord of heaven. As is earthy, such are they also that are earthy. As is heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 46-48, God will not reverse course and reestablish the earthly kingdom of Israel in place of his spiritual kingdom of Israel. That is contrary to his revealed plan. Fleshly Israel was intended by God for an example to us, his church. In 1 Corinthians 10.6, it was not the circumcision of the flesh that counts, but the circumcision of the heart, Colossians 2.11. The Bible makes clear that the old covenant made to fleshly Israel has vanished away, being replaced by a new covenant of faith in Jesus Christ. Quote, and that he saith, a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now what which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. End quote. Hebrew 8.13 A.V. Why would God reinstate something which he has said would vanish away and in which he has had no pleasure? Quote, and blunt offerings and sacrifice, excuse me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure, end of quote. Hebrews 10.6. Fleshly Israel is symbolized by the fig tree. The fig tree will never again bear fruit. And seeing the fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answers unto it, No man eateth fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed, cursed it, is withered away. <clears throat> Mark 11, verses 13 and 14 and 20 and 21. Spiritual Israel, this is all AV, it looks one of the authorized version, that's what he's talking about. Okay. Spiritual Israel is symbolized by the olive tree. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, olive berries, either a vine or figs? So can no foundation both yield salt, water, and fresh. James 3.12, authorized version. The answer is no. Fleshly Israel will never ever bear spiritual fruit for God. The spiritual fruit only comes from the spiritual olive plant the church, which are the believers in Jesus Christ. 
The blessings of God do not flow to the physical seed of Abraham, but rather to the spiritual seed. Who is the seed of Abraham? Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Quote, and now Abraham and his seed were the promise made. He saith not, and to the seeds as many, as of many, but as for one, and to thy seed which is Christ. Galatians 3.16, authorized version. All who believe in Jesus are heirs of the promise given to Abraham. Galatians 3, 23-29. A true Jew is the spiritual seed of Abraham, not the physical seed. Quote, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not of the letter, who praise is not of men, but of God. Romans 2, verses 28 through 29, authorized version. Quote, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Romans 9, 6, verses 6 through 8, otherwise version. The eternal blessings of Abraham flow to all who believe in Jesus Christ. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. His children are spiritual children, not earthly children. In God's kingdom, there are no distinctions between Jews, between Jew and Gentile. Quote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3, verse 28 through 29. For more information on Christians being the Israel of God, read Antichrist Conspiracy Inside the Devil's Lair. The Jews do not accept that God's plan was based upon salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Jews cling to their Babylonian notion of racial superiority. Their rejection of God of the Bible is the basis for creating a rival religion that uses Christian language but is Judaic to its core. The crypto-Judaism is not the religion of the Old Testament, it is the religion of Babylon. This crypto-Jewish religion is Roman Catholicism. This book authoritatively establishes that the Roman Catholic Church is Babylon the Great. It is called mystery because it presents itself as a Christian church when in fact 
that it is a false front for Judo-Babylonian theocracy. The theocracy was introduced through the influence of crypto Jews. The Bible states that the devil is at war with Christians, who are the spiritual seed of Jesus, Revelation 12:17. The Catholic priesthood, who opposes the fleshly Judaic rules of the Roman Church, are soldiers in a war against Christ and Christians, Galatians 4:29. The rank-and-file members of the Catholic Church are for the most part, unwitting victims of a clerical spiritual corruption, just as the ordinary Jews are victims of their clerics. It is for these and all other victims of religious deception that this book is written. Some would prefer that I remain silent about this religious um, malfeasance. malfeasance. I will simply respond, quote, I am... I, Quote, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And to quote Galatians 4.16. The great wonder in heaven. Most people focus on the harlot, Babylon the Great, in the book of Revelation. But there is another woman in Revelation who holds the key to the mystery of the great harlot. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, a rod of iron, excuse me, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Revelation 12, verses 1 through 5, authorized version. Who is the woman? Let's look at the clues. She has upon her head 12 stars. What is the meaning of those 12 stars? God in the book of Genesis reveals the answer. Joseph, who is one of the 12 children of Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, explains a dream to his brothers. That dream describes his brothers as 11 stars, uh, of course, Joseph is the 12th star, making 12 stars of Israel. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. Obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Genesis 37, 9 and 10. Notice that Joseph's prophecy not only depicts 11 stars, but also depicts the sun and moon making obeisance to him. The woman in Revelation was clothed with the sun and 
da mão. I'm liking it already. <clears throat> Under her feet. Joseph's father, Jacob, understood that the moon and the sun symbolized Joseph's mother, Rachel, and the father, Jacob, and slash Israel. The woman in Revelation 12 is Israel. But not the Israel of the earth, but that, but rather the heavenly Israel of the promise. Notice that the woman in Revelation is a great wonder in heaven, in the quote. The, the Israel of Revelation is a heavenly spiritual Israel. Not all who are of Israel on earth are the Israel of God. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are accounted for the seed. Romans 9, verses 8 through, excuse me, 6 through 8, authorized version. The promise made to Abraham flowed not to his physical, but rather to his spiritual seed. Quote, now to Abraham and his seed were the promise made. He saith not to the seeds as of many, but of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. Galatians 3.16, authorized version. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ are the seed of Abraham, and inherit the eternal promise made to him by God. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3.29, authorized version. The spiritual Israel of Revelation springs, quote, forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Revelation 12.5, the man-child in Revelation is Christ, Jesus Christ. He is taken up to God and to his throne and, to, and rules the nations with the rod of iron. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the of the power of God. Luke twenty two sixty nine authorized version. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress with the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, Revelation 19:15, authorized version. Jesus is prophesied is the prophesied son of David, the promised seed of Abraham. Quote the book of genera of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. End of quote. Matthew 1:1, authorized version. Notice that the great red dragon stood before the woman, which was ready. To be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born, Revelation twelve four. Who is the great the great red dragon? Is nothing none other than the old serpent called the devil uh, and Satan, 
which deceiveth the whole world. Revelation 12:9. The child that the great red dragon was ready to devour was Jesus, who was the agent of the devil that tried to. Who was the agent of the devil that tried to kill Jesus? Herod, the king of Israel. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he diligently acquired of the wise men. Matthew 2.16, Authorized Version. The dragon was then cast out of heaven to earth. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Revelation 12.13. The woman was then protected by God. The dragon then made war with her seed. Who is her seed? They are the children of God who, quote, have a testimony of Jesus Christ, end of quote, Revelation 12, 17. And to a woman, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness and to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. The earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God, and have a testimony of Jesus Christ. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his seat in great authority, Revelation 12:14, and thir- uh, through 13:2, Authorized Version. Notice that after the dragon was cast to the earth, a great beast was seen rising out of the sea. This sea beast has the same seven heads and ten horns, and the seven crowns upon his heads as the dragon who was in heaven ready to devour the newborn child in Revelations 12.3. This is clearly the earthly manifestation of the dragon who is the devil. The description suggests that it is a continuation of the heathen governments of the, of the earth. In Daniel chapter 7, chapter 7 and 8, we read that the leopard, the bear, and the lion were symbolic of three successive kings. And Daniel refers to the fourth kingdom that would be diverse from the rest. That kingdom will have ten horns, and one horn, and one of the horns shall speak great wonders against the, as great words, excuse me, against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. 
and make us think that we live in 2016. And they shall uh, be given into his hand until a time and times and then dividing of times, Daniel 7.25. The key to identifying the horn of Daniel is to find an institution that has changed God's laws and times. The Jews consider, uh, consider a violation of any of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 to be a capital offense. In order to avoid such harsh punishment, the commandments are reinterpreted through tradition to mean something other than what is said in the text. For example, the Eighth Commandment in Exodus 20.15 against stealing is given a different meaning is interpreted by the Jews to not be a prohibition against stealing property, since stealing property is not a capital offense under the Jewish tradition. The Jews limit the Eighth Commandment, quote, to be a prohibition against stealing, that is, kidnapping a Jewish person, end of quote. The Eighth Commandment is also not considered by the Jews to be a prohibition against stealing. Changing God's laws is the practice that was inculcated, inculcated into Rome, into the Roman Church by the crypto. There's that crypto stuff. You know, it's funny. Well, what is a crypto? We're finally finding find out what a crypto is. I believe Jews who had established a long tradition of rules that nullified God's commandments. Well, typically the Jews nullified the commandments through interpretation. The Catholic Church opened, opted for a more direct approach of simply rewriting the commandments in order to avoid God's prohibition on grave images. The Catholic Church deletes the second commandment. They have changed God's law. The second commandment in Exodus chapter 20 states, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath, and that is in the water water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Exodus 24. This leaves the Catholic Church with only nine commandments. The Catholic Church simply splits the last commandment into two commandments to make up for the missing commandment. The single commandment against coveting is changed into two commandments against coveting thy neighbor's goods and coveting thy neighbor's wife. The Catholic Ten Commandments are different from God's Ten Commandments. God's first commandment states that I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other God before me, the traditional Catholic catechism simply states the following in place of the first two commandments. First, I am the Lord your God, ye shall not have strange gods before me. Notice the prohibition against making graven images and bowing to them and serving them is deleted. In addition, the Romish church allows the worship of other gods as long as they are not strange gods. So it is permissible to have Mary and all the saints of as other gods because they are not strange gods according to Catholic doctrine. They have changed the commandments of God in order to set up their own 
religion in direct opposition of God's true commandments. commands. The Catholic Church has also changed times. It claims that the Lord's Day is the first day of the week, Sunday, because Jesus purportedly rose from the dead on Sunday, and that, consequently, Sunday replaces the seventh day, Saturday, as the day of rest. The only reference in the Bible to the Lord's Day is found in Revelations 1.10, and it is probably a reference to the Sabbath of the seventh day of the week, Saturday, which in reality is not, I must say, because I know that all my brothers have studied this, but they didn't operate on a Julian calendar. So, No, they didn't operate on a Julian calendar at the time of Moses. They used the lunar calendar. It's self-evident. Even the Seventh-day Adventists know that. Leadership. That's just my addition. So uh, we are justified not by keeping the Sabbath day or any other ordinance, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the, that matters the most. You see, so I know that some Seventh-day Adventists go, stay right, see, see, it's Saturday. Well, it's not really Saturday, first of all. It's based on lunar calendar. And anyways, whether it's a lunar calendar or a Saturday or Saturn's Day, it doesn't matter because, as he says here, we are not justified by keeping Sabbath or any other ordinance, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus nailed the Old Testament law to the cross. He, know, he fulfilled the requirements of the law on our behalf. Praise the Lord. That's why we're so indebted to him. Oh, praise you, Jesus Christ. Almighty God, oh, Savior, oh. Lord, Lord, King of Kings. Oh, man, I can't wait to see you, Lord. I can't wait to see you. My gosh, it's going to be amazing. Some wicked, corrupted man like me would have the chance to be in the presence of God. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Anyways, I'm sorry, I was just dreaming, thinking. Uh, fulfill the requirement. Okay, so anyway, so, you know, Jesus, you know, he nailed the Old Testament law on the, to the cross. He fulfilled the requirements of the law on our behalf. We are no longer obligated to the law, including the Sabbath requirements. Let no man, therefore, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of holy day and holy day of a new moon or a Sabbath day, which are shadows of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Colossians 2, 16 through 17. God did away with the requirements of the law under the New Testament. Quote, in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And the quote, Hebrews 10, 8, 13. Uh, authorized version. We keep a new law out of love for God. Our obedience is to his new law is evidence of our faith. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another and by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye love one another, John 3.13 Verses 34 through 35. 
The Catholic Church, on the other hand, requires that on Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are to refrain from engaging in work and activities that, that hinder the worship uh, owed to God. As a result, the Roman Catholic Church's twisting of the Holy Scripture, they have changed the Sabbath day and day of rest from the last day of the week, Saturday, to the first day of the week, Sunday. Which in reality makes no difference at all because they even know that they know that. So really, it's about this, not the first day of the week or the second, last day of the week. It's about the worship of the sun. Sun worship. Roman Catholic Church's change of the day of the rest from the seventh day to the first day of the week, along with their deletion of the second commandment, is a fulfillment of prophecy in Daniel that the horn would think to change times and laws. Not only that, but they not only change times and laws, they change the calendar. So we live on our Gregorian calendar. And worse than that, it's looking highly plausible that the Dark Ages have nothing to do about whether or not people had access to the Bible, the Word of God, but that they actually might have deleted 300, or just added 300 years to our calendar. Dealing, dealing with the Roman Empire and dealing with the, uh, the Muslims, Mohammedists, their invasion, and they needed to get people to see that they're in the latter days. I don't know if this is true or not. I have no idea. But, anyways, I'm always going to have conflict with other people. People say, no, 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 but listen, you know how many different calendars we've been under? I mean, not not us personally, but uh, that have been in the past 2,000 years, if it is 2,000 years, I don't know. I just put my faith in Jesus Christ. Forget about it. The preparation of the Passover. Okay, uh, Jesus was... Jesus was crucified on Passover, which was the fourth day of the week, Wednesday. Matthew 26, 2. John 13, 1. 18, 28, and 39. Jesus was crucified on the day of Passover, Luke 22 through 23, Matthew 26, 2. This is why the day Jesus was crucified is referred to as the preparation of Passover and not the preparation for the Passover. This is the preparation of the Passover. The Passover was the preparation day for the unleavened bread Sabbath that always follows Passover. Let's try this again. That is why the day Jesus Christ was crucified is referred to as the preparation of the Passover and not the preparation for the Passover. The Passover was the preparation day for the unleavened bread Sabbath that always follows the Passover. It was a preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold, your king. John 19.14 A.B. The day Jesus was crucified was the preparation day before the Sabbath. Mark 15.42 Which is why many believe 
it was the sixth day of the week, Friday. What many do not realize is that there were many other Sabbaths throughout the year in addition to the weekly Sabbath. That would mean that there would be many occasions when there would be two Sabbath days during some weeks. The week Jesus of Jesus' crucifixion was one of those weeks with two Sabbaths. How do I know that there were two Sabbaths? Because the Bible states that Christ was crucified the day before the high Sabbath and not the day before the weekly Sabbath. And, Jesus, and the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not, body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. John 19:31, authorized verse. The next day after Jesus' crucifixion was a high Sabbath. It was the first day of the seven-day feast of unleavened bread and the fifth day of the week. Thursday, John 19.31. So once again, the next day of after Jesus' crucifixion was the high Sabbath. It was the first day of the seven day, uh, first day of the seven-day feast of unleavened bread and the fifth day of the week. Thursday, John 1931. 14th day of the first month is the Passover, Leviticus 23, verses 4 5, Exodus 12, 17, and 18. Passover is immediately followed by the seven days of unleavened bread, Leviticus 23, 6 through 7, Exodus 12, 15, and 16. A Sabbath day is a day of rest. God ordained that the 15th day of the first month or uh, the day after Passover was to be the day of rest that is the Sabbath day so God ordained that the 15th day of the first month the day after Passover was to be a day of rest that is a Sabbath day the Passover immediately followed by seven days of unleavened bread the next day, and the sixth day of the week, Friday, the woman brought the spices, Mark 16, 1, and prepared the spices for Jesus' body, <clears throat> Luke 23, 56. The woman prepared the spices and ointments before the Sabbath, Luke 23, verses 53 through 24:3, authorized version. But they did not buy the spices until after the Sabbath. Mark 16, verses 1 through 6, authorized version. How can one prepare the spices before they are purchased? It would not be possible unless there were two Sabbaths. The woman prepared the spices before the weekly Sabbath, but had purchased them after the unleavened bread Sabbath. Those passages point to Wednesday crucifixion, with unleavened bread. Let's see if I've got it on the right page here. Yeah, point to A. Wednesday crucifixion with the unleavened bread, Sabbath the next day. Thursday and Christ rising from the dead, exactly three days and three nights, 72 hours later on the weekly Sabbath Saturday. The women would have 
both purchased spices and prepared them on Friday, which would have been before the weekly Sabbath on Saturday and after the unleavened bread Sabbath, which was on Thursday. The tomb was found empty on the first day of the week. He did not rise from the dead on that day. The woman rested on the seventh day, Saturday, which was the weekly Sabbath, Luke 23, verses 20-56, early the first day of the week. Sunday, they came to the tomb to find it empty and saw an angel who announced that Jesus had already risen, Mark 16, verses 1-6. through six. Just as Jesus prophesied, he rose from the dead precisely three days and three nights after his burial. Matthew 12, 40 and 20, 19. Well, the tomb was found empty on the first day of the week, Sunday. He rose from the dead on the evening of the seventh day, Saturday. To hold, to hold that Jesus was crucified and was buried on the sixth day of the week, Friday, and rose from the dead uh, the first day of the week, on uh, of the week Sunday would be to say that Jesus was wrong about his prophecy because he prophesied that he would be in the tomb three days and three nights. For for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew twelve forty. The span between the evening a Friday and the early morning of Sunday is not three days and three nights. However, a Wednesday burial with the Saturday resurrection is exactly three days and three nights. And that's the end of chapter one. The next one is the other woman. <clears throat> now I'm going to take a break. I think I'll do another recording. i got nothing else better to do. I literally... It's late, my son's not here, and i got nothing to do. I'm too broke to do anything, and I don't even want to be in the world anyways. So, I am who I am. Praise the Lord. All right. I'm learning a lot just already just reading this book. Awesome. I know one thing, I've been taught a lot of things wrong in the course of this journey, but I guess you have to go through all that to know when you hear the truth. I guess it's part of the prophet's sermon. Anyways. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.